Good morning, Bergen Park, again. Brad is, uh, where's Brad, is he still here? He's a week into a sinus infection. Um, I'm about 45 years into a high school baseball injury that, uh, that has caught up with me in a big way in the last several weeks. So my knee is about 25% again, it's normal size. Uh, so the antibiotics seem to be working for him. Let's hope the ibuprofen works for me and we'll, we'll be good. Uh, my name is Gary, by the way, and um, filling in for Pastor Jason this week. Uh, he started a little series last week, kind of a mini-series in the Psalms, um, starting with Psalm 25. And we're going to continue today with, uh, by taking a look at Psalm 42. Um, interesting Psalm, and the folks in the mental health field say that uh, the subject uh, that Psalm 42 is talking about um, is as disabling as coronary artery disease or arthritis. Its victims spend more time in bed than people with chronic lung disorder or gastrointestinal issues. Approximately 1 in 12 Americans will be affected by this disorder uh, in their lifetime in its more severe forms. And in its more severe forms, it is manifested by feelings of hopelessness, loneliness, and paralysis. And I'm guessing that you can tell that I'm talking about uh, the subject of depression. Let's take a look at Psalm 42 this morning. Uh, Lord, you tell us in, uh, in Psalm 119 through David that the entrance of your word gives light. Lord, we ask this morning that you would shine the light of your word on each one of us so that we may walk in light as children of light and for as long as you leave us here on planet Earth, we want to look a little bit more like the one who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, um, look, Garrett, I don't, I'm not a depressed kind of person. I don't struggle with those issues, so, you know, I'll catch you after the service. But the truth is, don't we all uh, encounter it in its lesser forms as we go through life, you know? Um, dad comes home from the office someday and just, just flops down on the couch and says, I'm depressed. Bad day at the office. You know, or your, or your kids come home uh, carrying a report card, and when they walk through the door, they're like, oh, I'm depressed. And then, uh, Mom, you read the report card, and you're depressed. So we, we all deal with it in one way or another, in one form or another. Um, and it's an interesting phenomenon. The ancients, uh, the ancient fathers of Western medicine, uh, specifically Hippocrates uh, and Galen, said that they believed the body was made up of four major fluids, and those four fluids are blood, phlegm, <laughs> gets worse, yellow bile, and black bile. And if, if those four fluids weren't in perfect balance, or uh, to the degree that they were not in balance, that reflected in your personality. Uh, if you had too much blood, for example, uh, you were said to be, um, you're definitely a glass half full kind of person, uh, hopeful, optimistic. Uh, I think we use the term sanguine for that. Uh, if you had uh, too much phlegm, uh, you tended to be a somewhat laid back, uh, never rattled, um, unshakable kind of person. 
and we call it from the word phlegm, phlegmatic, right? If you had too much yellow bile, uh, you might be a more uh, wired kind of person, a demanding, take charge kind of person. Somebody might, see, might even say bossy kind of person. That's the yellow bile. But worst of all, according to the ancients, worst of all was if you had too much black bile. Because if you had too much black bile, you tended to be the kind of person who got down in the dumps. As a matter of fact, the ancients called this black bile melancholia, from which you can see we get our word melancholy. So, uh, I'm suspect of uh, some aspects of what they were saying, but uh, one thing I think we can tell from this psalm is that depression is not necessarily an indicator of the depth of a person's spirituality, nor an indicator of their character. Somebody might, you know, say, well, you know, People that get depressed just, you know, just aren't living by faith. Well, you know what? Be careful if you think that because, uh, first of all, uh, maybe you're a little bit over-optimistic about how much you're living by faith, and pride can sneak in, you know. But on top of that, guys, there is such a thing as natural temperament. And the truth is, by our very makeup, some of us are just more prone to getting down in the dumps. So, I would say to those folks who think that that's a sign of immaturity in any way, I say, well, well look at your Bible. What about, what about the prophet Jeremiah? Spent most of his adult life severely depressed. What about Elijah, the prophet Elijah? Had periods in his life when he went through tremendous bouts of depression. John the Baptist in the New Testament ends his life in, in, in a Herodian prison in severe depression. And even in, in the extra-biblical realm, some of our hymns, uh, anybody ever heard the name of William Cooper? Cooper uh, wrote some of the greatest hymns of the faith. He lived many centuries ago. He was actually uh, a contemporary of John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. Recognize these words, there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's William Cooper, a manic depressive for virtually his entire life, attempted suicide twice in his adult life, and yet a man greatly used of God. How about Charles Haddon Spurgeon? I'm sure some of you have heard of that guy, right? Yeah called the Prince of Preachers, considered by many people the greatest preacher who ever lived. And yet for his entire adult life, Spurgeon struggled greatly with depression. His wife often told, uh, privately, told friends that the greatest task and biggest, hardest task of her life was keeping, helping to keep her husband on an even keel. But think about it. None of these folks... Although they suffered greatly with depression, none of them uh, would consider that a black mark, or I wouldn't consider it a black mark. I hope you wouldn't consider it a black mark on their character and on the degree of the depth of their spirituality. Greatly, greatly used of God. And I suspect if you talk to them, just think of Spurgeon or, or Cooper, 
near the end of their life, I think they would tell you that God had actually used this issue of depression to deepen their walk with Him, to give them a greater appreciation of who He is and how He's able to work in their life. Well, the person in this psalm is struggling with the same thing. Notice uh, verses 1 and 2. You can follow along here. Uh, got the Got them up there for you. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalmist, he feels like God is far away. Anybody feel that way coming in this morning? (laughs) Maybe you're struggling with a, a financial problem, maybe an interpersonal problem, maybe a health problem. Whatever it is, it's got you down, down in the dumps, and it feels like God is a million miles away. If that's you, you're in good company this morning because that's exactly how the writer of this psalm feels. But he's not happy to leave it there. He's not happy to leave it there. He says, Lord, like a thirsty deer pants for a drink, I'm I'm thirsty for you in that way. I need you, Lord. I need to know you're there. And is he troubled by the fact that God feels far away? You bet he's troubled and troubled by whatever his circumstance is. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? My tears have been my food. seems like he has one of the typical symptoms of depression. He has no appetite. He says, the only food I'm taking in is the tears that run out of my eyes, down my cheeks, and into my mouth. Secondly, it looks as if he has another symptom of depression. He says, my tears have been my food, what? Day and night, which suggests I'm awake all the time. I can't sleep. And this is, again, typical of the more severe forms of depression. He's he's out of control emotionally crying all the time, unable to eat, unable to sleep. But what I want to suggest to you is things are are not hopeless for this guy, not by any means. You know why? Because he's a believer. Without a doubt, this man is a believer. And because he's a believer, he has a capacity, a capability of dealing with this problem that other people don't have. We'll talk about that a little more as we get along. So, So what does he do? How does he actually work through this issue as we look at this psalm. First thing I want to suggest to you is he looks to God in the midst of his depression. In his depression, he looks to God. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Now, if you, if you happen to be looking at one of the newer translations like the NIV or the NLT, um, you might notice that the word countenance isn't even there. It isn't even translated. Your virgin may just say, my Savior and my God. Um, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure why, and it's not really important for our purposes this morning, but the, the translators of a, lot of the new, a lot of the newer translations don't translate this word, but I assure you it's there in the Hebrew text. It can be translated face. Or I, I like even better uh, what the, or the NKJV translates it here as countenance. Wouldn't you agree our countenance 
reveals how we're feeling. Uh, you can tell by looking at a person's face what's kind of going on in their life, if you know what I mean. Uh, if you don't think that's true, then you might not be in a small group. And if you're a regular Bergen Park church and you're not in a small group, shame on you, you should be. And you know why? Because like if, if I walk into our small group, I walk in, if there's something going on, the folks in that group know me well enough that I can't hide it. <laughs> they can, what's, what's up? You're awful quiet today. Something wrong? No, 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 I'm fine. Well, you just, you don't, you don't seem like yourself. You don't, like, is there something wrong? Is there something we can pray about? No, 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 that's okay, you know, I'm fine. But it's, and it's not out of being nosy or, you know, <laughs> wanting to know something that's, that's not right. It's because they care. It's because they're people uh, that know that as believers we're supposed to be navigating life together, right? And so our countenance does reveal what's going on in our life. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of, notice this, His countenance. Now, drop down to verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Do you see that? The psalm writer is saying, when I look at the Lord's face, when I look at His perfect countenance, that transforms my countenance. Why, why do you think, guys, when we come in every Sunday, why do you think we begin with worship? Because we all come in with different issues, different problems, different things that have gone on during the week. And the first thing that we need to do is get our eyes off of our own problems, our own difficulties, our own struggles, and get our eyes on Jesus. Because you know what? He's never anxious. He's never worried. He's never out of sorts. His countenance is always perfect. So we start with worship. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, what? Face, yeah. Look at his countenance. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And that's what the psalm writer is saying here, that, that the greatest help to my down-in-the-dumps countenance is focusing on God's perfect countenance as I go through this depressed time. So first of all, he looks to God in the midst of his depression. Secondly, he admits to himself and to God how he feels. And we're going to look at again, some of these verses we're going to look at over and over because they tell us a lot. Again at verse 5, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me? See, he openly admits that he's depressed. Usually, and this is an unfortunate side of depression, most people that struggle with depression are very reluctant to admit it. Are you, are you down? Has something got you down? No, 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 I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. To them, in, in a lot of ways, the only thing worse than being depressed would be people knowing about it. Again, because at least in the past, and I guess to a certain degree in every culture, it's something that is not appreciated as a, uh, a genuine struggle. It's looked at as a, someone who struggles with it constantly uh, 
may be looked down on in certain circles. It should not be that way, but people suspect that it is that way, so they don't want to tell others how they feel. This man is being courageous. He's telling God especially exactly how he feels. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. And, and, and he's, he's not doing what we usually do. See, in our culture, if we're depressed, what do people do? Turn to drugs, turn to alcohol, uh, maybe adopt a cause, you know, save the whales. Or, or a couple of years ago here in Evergreen, it was save the dog park. <laughs> whatever, whatever it might be. Anything to distract us and get our eyes away from this depressed feeling. But artificial means of dealing with depression are almost never helpful. As a matter of fact, they usually drive us further into depression. But this man is admitting how he feels, and he's admitting it to both himself and to God. And then look what he does, in, is he, and, and, and he's angry. He's angry about it. Look what he says uh, in verse 9. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Don't, don't miss the sarcastic irony here, guys, because that, that's what he's doing. He's saying, look, God, you're supposed to be my rock. You're supposed to be that immovable rock in my life that's always a firm footing and that I can always count on. But guess what, God? The rock has moved. You're not doing anything for me. You're not doing anything about this problem. You're supposed to be my fortress where I can always run and hide. Well, the walls of the fortress are crumbling, Lord. Where are you? Nothing's going on. And notice he says, why, why, why? Take, take a moment sometime and just look through this psalm and see how many times this man says, why? And that's an important question to ask, guys. It really is. Not, not because there's particularly any answer, because frankly, most of the time in these situations, there isn't a specific answer. But asking why opens up the floodgates. It, it enables us to get honest with ourselves, get honest with God, hopefully get honest with others, and that's what begins and sustains the healing process as we go through it. It opens the gates for the Lord to be our our, our true salvation in every, even in depression. You know, it's almost never a good thing to vent on other people. <laughs> I wouldn't advise that. It doesn't usually go well. But it's always a good thing to vent on God. Tell Him how you feel. He knows already, might as well. But telling Him opens the floodgates of healing in ways that if you've never experienced then take a lesson from this man. Get honest with God. He looks to God in the midst of his depression. He admits to God and to himself how he feels. Thirdly, he speaks to himself. He speaks to himself. Verse 5 again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. And he does the same thing almost verbatim in verse 11. Why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Now, in most circles, for most of us, uh, a person talking to themselves is usually the first sign that they've lost their marbles, right? But believe it or not, from this psalm, 
talking to yourself may actually be a prescription to prevent you from losing your marbles. Express it. Talk to God about it. You know, I've discovered as a, as a lifelong worrier, uh, I've discovered that anxiety and depression, in my opinion, are sort of flip sides of the same coin. Uh, growing up, I can remember my mom saying to me, Gar, nobody can make a mountain out of a molehill as quick as you can. <laughs> I, I, true, true. Now, I've gotten much better as I've gotten older. My conversion when I came to faith in my mid-20s was a huge step in the right direction for me. I don't worry quite as much as I used to, but I have a natural uh, propensity toward it. And one thing I discovered is, and this is something that people who suffer from depression and people who suffer from anxiety, in my opinion, they kind of have this in common, they have usually stopped thinking logically. Usually, They've, they've blown something in their mind completely out of proportion. And the best way to deal with that, and I, I confess I've done this, I have literally said to myself out loud, without other people around, what am I so bent out of shape about? What is so disastrous? Why is this situation got me virtually on the verge of a panic attack? Is it really as bad as I think it is? And when you talk it through like that, you know what you usually find out? No, it's not as bad as you think it is. And again, if you're a believer, you have a capacity to cope with it that other people don't have. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was uh, literally a, a medical doctor. Uh, one of the, going back into the previous century, the middle of the previous, early early middle of uh, the previous century, he was one of the most promising young physicians in London. Uh, but after practicing for about 10 years, he felt called of the Lord um, to go into full-time ministry. And for 30 years, he was the pastor uh, at Westminster Chapel in London. Uh, and he wrote a book, uh, and I discovered this several years ago, and I, I, I've always thought it was one of the best things I've read. He wrote a book on, called Spiritual Depression. And in the book, he has a chapter where he's talking specifically about this guy in Psalm 42 and how we should handle uh, these situations. Listen to what this uh, physician-turned-preacher says, and I quote, "'Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday.'" Somebody is talking to you. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Listen, self, for a moment, and I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is knowing how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, Condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, 
Hope thou in God instead of muttering in this depressed and unhappy way. I think that's very, very well said. <laughs> and you know what? It's not, it's not a good thing. As we said before, it's not a good thing to vent on other people. It's never a good thing to go to a depressed person and say, even if you know them well, what's wrong with you? Come on, pull yourself together. You're acting like an idiot. That's never helpful. That'll drive a depressed person deeper in. But it's always helpful to be hard on yourself, to upbraid yourself, exhort yourself. Come on, self. Get, pull yourself out of this. There's no reason to be where you're at emotionally. Hope in God. Aren't you a believer? Hope in God. I will yet praise him. So talking to yourself can be a good thing. Number four and lastly, he remembers God's faithfulness to him in the past. He remembers God's faithfulness in the past. Notice verse four. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. See what he's doing? He's remembering his pre-depression days. He's remembering when everything was going well in his life. And doing that, remembering the good old days, can have a very definite downside. Notice he says, when I remember these things, what happens? I pour out my soul within me. And I think what he's saying is, when I recall the good times, what it used to be like in worship, how I, how, how I used to feel and how confident I was and how much confidence I had in God, when I recall those days, I just, I just burst out crying all over again. The, the, the depression just jumps on me all over again. That's the downside of remembering God's faithfulness in the past when you're in the midst of a depressed time. But there's an upside to that. There's an upside to that. Psalm 34 and verse 18 says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Guys, the, the Lord will never leave you hanging. You're a believer. You're a member of His forever family. You're one of His kids. He's never going to leave you hanging. Remember Paul near the end of his life in 2 Timothy verse uh, 4, or chapter 4? He says, at my first defense, this is, he's, he's facing the end of his life. He's facing execution, basically. At my first defense, no one stood with me. Everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his kingdom. You see, God, guys, I don't know how else to say it other than this. God is attracted, irresistibly attracted to weakness, particularly the weakness of his children. It's like he can't help himself. When we are helpless and we admit it and we just cry out to him, depending on him alone instead of depending on other things, he, it's like he can't help himself. That's what the whole theme of the book of 2 Corinthians is that we are strongest when we're weakest, right? He wants more than anything. He wants to be your superhero. He wants to come rescue you in the midst of whatever difficulty, in this case depression, whatever it is. 
He can't help himself. When, when, when his children cry out to him, he has to get involved. So you might say, well, you know, I'm glad I don't suffer from depression. Well, in one sense, yeah, me, me too. But is it possible that this man has come to know God and came to know God in depths and in ways that you and I may never come to know him? It could be that his depression was the very catalyst that drove him to deeper and deeper dependence and deeper and deeper relation with God. You know, it's really interesting to me as you go through this psalm, never once does he ask God to take the depression away. That's not what he's pleading for. He's not pleading for the depression to end. What he's pleading for is a sense of God's presence with him in the midst of the depression. That's what he's pleading for. And, he, and you know what? He's not disappointed. No one will ever be disappointed who trusts in the Lord. He's near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Again, I want to reiterate that this guy is a believer. That's why he's able to, to deal with this. That's why it all comes out well on the far end. How about you? You know, uh, Janine and I and Jamie uh, did a little camping trip over 4th of July, and we went up to, um, went up to the Black Hills in South Dakota, uh, right around Ru Mount Rushmore area. And... Um, and I was struck. We drove through Custer State Park. I had never done it before. I was struck with the uh, rock formations that were there. Um, they have these huge spires uh, all over the place that shoot up. Yeah, there they are on the screen. And there were people climbing those spires. Uh, I think their mental health is in question, just like in the South. But they're, they're there. And I mean, they're hundreds of feet up. And as I looked, as I was looking at them, it reminded me, uh, if you'll allow me just quickly, it reminded me of an illustration that I heard many years ago, and I hadn't thought about this for a long, long time. But it's a story of a guy who was mountain climbing, and uh, it's late in the day, and he's nearing the top, and just as he gets 20 feet or so below the overhang, and, and this uh, rock had a... Uh, had a cleft. It kind of went straight up and then went out like this. So his rope is hanging here. And he's, he's using uh, a line that was already on the mountain, a, uh, a safety line or whatever they call it. But he gets near the top and he pulls on the safety line. The top spike comes out of it that it's tied to. It, the spike weight goes down and basically pulls the entire safety line to the ground 250, 300 feet below him. Now he's hanging on just his climb line uh, which ends 20 foot below him, and it is 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and instead of being mid-July, it's mid-December, and it suddenly hits him, it's going to be dark in an hour, and it's going to go from 28 or 29 degrees to single digits. So he desperately starts trying to climb, but he's exhausted, and he, can, and he, he can't. He gets about five feet further up and just has to wrap himself around the rope, and he's panting. And he's thinking, this is unbelievable. <laughs> through, through my own negligence and an unfortunate event, my life could end right here, now. And he's thinking, what can I possibly do when suddenly, just below him and to his right, an angel appears. 
And the angel says to him, got a problem? He's like, yeah, I got, I got a big problem here. He goes, well, have you tried pulling yourself up on, on the rope? I can't. I'm exhausted. I, I just don't have the strength left to do it. Oh, um, well, can you let yourself down? No, the, the, the safety line that goes all the way to the canyon floor fell through, and it's laying on the canyon floor. Wow. Hmm. Would you like me to help you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would love for you to help me. Uh, um, okay, do you, do you want me to save you from this? Yeah, I want you to save me from this. Of course I do. You want me to save you right now? Yes, yeah, save me right now. I have no alternatives. Okay, let go of the rope. At which point, being like the rest of us, the guy says, is there anybody else down there? <laughs> but guys, that's, that's an illustration, a simple illustration, but I hope an effective one, that none of us will ever, will ever get into God's forever family by our own efforts. None of us can save ourselves. We're all sinners. We're all hopelessly hanging on that rope. The only way that we will ever get into God's forever family is by a free gift. And all the Lord is saying is simply, trust me completely. Give up all self-effort. Give up every attempt to work your way to heaven, to work your way into God's family. Just let go of the rope and trust me completely. Because what I did on the cross for you 2,000 years ago is all I require for you to have eternal life and to never, ever perish. I hope that's you this morning because if it is, you'll have a capacity like the man in Psalm 42 to deal with the problems of life when they come along that other people don't have. The capacity to know God at a depth that other people will never, ever experience. If you've never let go of the rope, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, then I pray you won't leave here today without talking to somebody about it. And if you've trusted Him this morning, again, don't leave here without telling somebody about it, because that's good news. Father, we thank You for Your amazing grace. We thank You for the example of the man in this psalm. Help us now as the worship team comes and we sing this psalm uh, as it's put to words. Help us to trust You more, to not so much crave deliverance from the problems of life, but rather to crave a sense of your presence with us as we go through those problems. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.